You are listening to Bitcoin, Blockchain and the Technologies of Our Future with Naomi Brockwell. Okie dokie, we are live. Welcome everyone to the weekly crypto recap. We are getting back to a more normal schedule for these because I am no longer in Australia. I am uh, actually uh, on the other side of the world now for the Satoshi Roundtable, which is pretty exciting. Um, this is going to be a short recap today just because I have to go and MC the opening dinner in, in a few minutes. So I did want to give you an update on everything that's gone on in the news this week before that all starts. Uh, Zaphoid, welcome to the show. It's delightful hey, to have you here and uh, delightful to be able to have you on shows again. We had a few while I was in Australia, but it's like a 12-hour time difference, 13 during daylight savings time. So it makes it a bit awkward for everyone. Uh, but welcome. It's wonderful to have you here. Happy to be here. It's a cold Friday. I envy your blue skies. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's it's delightful here. So um, while I'm rubbing that in, let's uh, let's begin by talking about the bit license. So. Uh, this week, the NYDFS, the New York Department of Financial Services, grants a bit license to the third Bitcoin operator. Now, some people will probably cheer at this and say, yay, another company can operate in New York. But let's look a little bit at the history of uh, the bit license. Uh, this is a coveted uh, thing in uh, in New York. It's been horrendous what's happened to crypto in New York since this was implemented. Uh, basically, in 2015, there was just one granted, one license granted. Out of all of the crypto startups that we know were in New York at the time, one license was granted. 2016, one license was granted. 2017 to uh, 2018. Oh, gosh, let me see if I can find that. But basically, there have been less than 20 companies that have been granted a bit license since its creation, which I think was 2014 or 2015. July 2014. 2014, yeah, that's right. Um, and it's just been horrendous. So, yes, that's great that another Bitcoin ATM operator in New York now has a bit license. But this is not something to cheer. This is something to be disgusted at because New York needs to get its act together and, uh, and realize that they are just halting progress. They are halting innovation in the state. What are your thoughts, Chris? I only have to wonder if Cottonwood Vending, you know, if they had to bring on Losky as a consultant to be able to make this happen, because, you know, we all know that's how Losky makes all his money now. Absolutely. The revolving door of crypto and, and regulation, where you set up the regulations to make it difficult enough so that no one can actually navigate it uh, by themselves. And then you get hired by the same companies to help walk them through this uh, terribly bureaucratic process. Um, yes, no, it's, it's, it's very interesting that the uh, companies that Losky uh, is involved with just have to have a bit. Bit license isn't that just coincidental? The architect of the bit license himself. So Cottonwood Vending LLC, as we said, uh, Department of Financial Services have just approved a license for them. So let's see what happens there. Um, you know, it's a it's a huge achievement for them because so few have received it. I know. I mean, off the top of my head, I could probably name like twenty companies that I know have put in applications for this bit license and been denied. On what grounds? As you suggested, Chris, maybe just because they didn't know the right people, because that's apparently how it works these days. Um, but that's nothing against Cottonwood, and I'm impressed that they got one. Let's hope that they, they use it well. Uh, goodness knows we need more companies competing in New York at the moment. Um, but let's move on. As I said, we've got very limited time, so we're just going to breeze through the news from the week. 
Uh, Binance. So what do we think about this? Uh, users can now pay for crypto with credit cards. They're streamlining the process. They're making it easier for people to purchase crypto. Uh, and they've said that uh, you know, this is going to help make it easier, take away some of the friction, etc. So this was announced on Thursday. I had actually partnered with an Israel-based uh payment processor is called simplex and now you can make purchases with visa and mastercard there you go that's there's news for the for yep. um it's it's actually slightly cheaper than buying with credit cards through coinbase coinbase is 3.9 percent binance is 3.5 percent so mm -hmm. you know they're they're trying to target the same space um i haven't done it yet i'm not even sure what the requirements are with binance to do that because i've no interest in buying crypto with a credit card. I know that there's a daily limit. Uh, so they've got $20,000 per um, per day per user. So if you wanted to buy $20,000 more than that in crypto, then you you can't. And there's a monthly maximum of $50,000 per user as well. So for all you high rollers out there watching the show right now, just keep those uh, those maximums in mind. I, you know, it, it seems like one of those things where if you get one of those cards that gives you an extra 10% cash back for the first $3,000, this is a good way to use it. But other than that, uh, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, more fiat gateways into crypto is good. Making it easier for people to actually get into crypto with fiat is good. Whatever well, my feelings about finance and credit cards. Well, making it easy for get people to get rid of their fiat as well. Yes. You know, yes. having uh, bridges between the two is always great. You know, mm -hmm. we don't want people going back the other route, back mm -hmm. into fiat. But getting them out of fiat and getting them into crypto, uh, great that there are, there are more options for them now. Absolutely. And, and this is Binance trying to step up its game and become more Coinbase-like. As you know, last week they just launched their OTC trading desk and they're just trying to step up their game and being more full-featured so anybody can use them for anything trying to play into Coinbase's areas of strength. Absolutely. All right, moving on. Uh, let's talk about South Korea for a little bit. I did a video last year. I went to South Korea for a conference and got to chat to some locals, uh, talk about the ICOs, uh, the bans happening there, the government regulation, how the government treats crypto there. It was really interesting. It's sort of this strange, like they, they're not quite sure where they stand. There were bans, they were thinking about lifting them and all of this. Well, this has been the news this last week. So South Korea actually says that it will maintain the ICOs ICO ban. So they were considering for a while uh, uh, lifting it, and um, and uh, this would have been would have been great because they just put a blanket ban of uh, everything. And um, and they did this because they found out that token projects broke the rules. Now this just seems so spiteful. It's like like so if if your bureaucracy had come to the conclusion that no ICOs are okay and we will allow them, and then suddenly it's like what you're doing without our permission fine, you can't do anything. Like it just seems, I don't know, it doesn't seem like a good reason to have a regulation in place. Like, well, you shouldn't have broken the rules. Like, it, doesn't it just seem so dumb? Well, it, it's it's not surprising that South Korea did this, but at the same time, we have to keep in mind the context that in the United States, the government was shut down and none of the actual IPOs could actually be launched in January because nobody was there to say, hey, it's okay, you know, I'll hold we your hands you across the street. Yeah. You know, yeah. so... This is why ICOs were around to try to bypass a lot of this red tape. Now, I'll fully admit that, you know, a lot of the ICOs had no business of existing, but that's your responsibility as somebody buying it to do your due diligence. I don't believe that the government should be there holding your hands and then saying, hey, whoa, 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 you can't do this without asking first is just 
not what yeah. we want to see in the space. Seems very strange. I do hope that they um, they change their mind. As we know, South Korea has been such a, a hot spot for crypto scene in general. Uh, some awesome things happening there. For a while, it, uh, the um, Korean won was the most traded into Bitcoin currency. Mm -hmm. It surpassed US dollars. Uh, there, there was a brief period there. So like they're really interested in this. So I, I hope that they kind of leverage that momentum and and support the scene there rather than trying to put a dampener as the, the US is trying to do. And also, I mean, talking about like holding your hands, holding the hand of these, uh, these <laughs> companies, like the IPOs and all that, like ICOs were created because the regulatory framework and traditional finance was so gummed up. People can't do anything. There are huge barriers to entry. Uh, it's hugely expensive. So this is not obtainable. Uh, like it's not it's not um, viable for a small company with limited capital to try and crowdfund you know, their projects to try and raise funds publicly. And ICOs came around and became this regulatory arbitrage. So whether I think that most ICOs are shitty or not, I think that we do need to recognise that ICOs kind of came around as a solution to a really big problem. Now, I wish that regulation in the United States was voluntary. You know, I mean, that sounds strange, right? I wish that regulation was voluntary. Like, but honestly, I wish that... People, you know, they, the government would just give a check mark to things. And if people want to only use products that have the government approved check mark, then that's their choice. But if they wanted to go into riskier investments, then that's their choice as well. Because people take risks all the time. And I think that's totally fine. And it should be up to the individual. And it really bothers me that, um, you know, to tell people's choices when these choices were created in the first place to be a solution to existing problems that the government again created. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, that was good. That was a nice little rant there. It was, it was actually Thank nice. you. I, I try, to, I, I I try to get these uh, rants out of my system, you know. Uh. But, you know, th the important thing to realize is that all of this regulation, you know, didn't protect us from Madoff, from Enron, from all of these things. All these things that are completely ongoing right now does not protect us from that. It's just all it is, it's putting rules so the average person can't get involved in the game where the real money is being made. That, yeah. That's all. And it's just a matter of, of another case of regulatory capture where the average person is kept out of making money and kept out of opportunities that people who already have money have. You know, we talk about, you know, wealth inequality or whatever, which I, I hate that phrase, but, you know, this is something that's contributing to it. The more regulations that our country has gotten, the more uh, restrictive that Western society has gotten, the greater the wealth disparity, the more percentage wealth goes to the haves and the less to the have-nots. When you remove that regulation, when you remove those barriers to entry, the more competition there is, the better prices there is, the more innovation there is, and the more people who have nothing have the opportunity to get a lot. That was great. That was a great rant to rival mine as well. We're doing well today. There's like the Chris and Naomi show where they both get really angry about the whole regulation. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that they would try to protect us from is scammers, hacks, all of that. So let's move on because the Cryptopia saga continues. Uh, we Ooh. talked about this before. We talked about hacker uh, or hackers who managed to get the private keys to Cryptopia's wallets and have been extracting funds and then they return some funds and it's kind of this ongoing thing and uh, at, uh, this week the hackers just stole another 180k in ether from Cryptopia so like why I mean did they accidentally give it back then because it seems like they they stole money and then they returned it you know a little bit of it and now they've just stolen more like what's what's going on there 
I, I could think of a whole bunch of ways that that could happen. I could see that they accidentally created a new address in the wallet that they stole funds with and sent funds there from somewhere else. And it looks like it got sent back. Something like that might've happened. I don't know. I don't really know other than, wow. I mean, the, the police are involved. The police watched this happen. They actually initially thought this was Coinbase moving funds to new wallets for security when they uh -huh. first saw the transfer happening. And then they realized that Coinbase like, nope, this isn't us. They apparently still have access to all the stuff they had access to. I, I don't understand. I really don't understand how something like this happens and you don't immediately generate new keys, generate new wallets, new phrases, move everything out of there because yeah. how do you know what they did or didn't get? I, I don't get it. But yeah, I know. So they, the hacker has the private keys. They can withdraw draw funds from any Cryptopia wallet at will. You know, and what's fascinating is that, oh, you can hear things going on in the background. I probably have to head down there soon. <laughs> Like, don't start without me. I have to introduce it, guys. Um, so uh, one thing I do want to mention, though, is like these wallets are still being topped up. Yes, yeah. as you said, you know, there's still money being there. Like, why wouldn't you take your money out immediately? But apparently a lot of these funds uh, that are like topping up the wallets, it's actually coming from mining pools. Mm -hmm. So there's like your automatic deposits that they've probably set up and probably forgotten about. And think money's just going in there. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the Cryptopia hackers is like, thank you and you know taking all this money anybody watching this do not mine to an exchange just just don't do it i, I don't understand why anybody did it in the first place don't mine to an exchange mine to a wallet you control and then move to an exchange when you want to sell it's not that much harder just do it just why would you send it directly to an exchange when this is there's three exchanges so, that i know of in january that have been having issues and you know, Cryptopia is the most high profile, but we had you know Quadra CX just shut down yesterday, or yeah, yesterday the thirty first. So you know, this is going to keep happening. This is what capitulation looks like, and maybe the proof of keys kicked this off. Maybe not. I don't know, but a lot of bad stuff's happening in the crypto exchange space right now. Absolutely. So just be real careful. Um, moving on, talking about like traditional finance. The SWIFT system, which is basically how uh, you know, American finance works in Australia, I think it's called the CHESS system. So Australia, a while ago, um, uh, they started experimenting with um, trying to implement blockchain technology and upgrading the system, like the, the CHESS system, the SWIFT system. I mean, these are old archaic systems that haven't really been improved upon for a really long time. Uh, so Australia announced that ages ago, but have put it on hold. And now SWIFT is announcing that they're going to be doing the same thing uh, in America. So the, the SWIFT chief announced a trial, uh, a DLT integration with R3. So R3's quarter platform is being involved with this. And they're going to test uh, SWIFT's GPI payments uh, using this technology. So that seems interesting. Yeah, I... Um heard a lot about why they went with r3 instead of ripple i don't quite understand the you know the difference here but yeah it's one of those things where the ripple people like banks using the blockchain they like they they want to claim that all the banks will start using ripple and that's what gives the ripple token value except then other banks have to actually use the token it doesn't make any sense to me um but stuff like that is inevitable because, yeah, I mean, the blockchain and money go hand in hand. Moving money between banks is something that can be, you know, it's not anything you need to put in a mutable database. It needs to be an immutable thing that yeah. happens. So you always know that it's happening. And, you know, right now, you know, moving money between banks is anybody who's actually tried to do that is slow and tedious and at least a 24 hour process. 
if everything goes right, yeah. where they just need to catch up with everything. And this is, again, where even the legacy institutions are being challenged by how simple and easy blockchain is and how this competition is spurring innovation even in the traditional markets. And yeah. that's why competition is good and regulation destroying competition is bad. Absolutely. So in December, R3 launched the Corda Settler. So it's an application that's aimed to facilitate global currency payments uh, with enterprise blockchains. And they uh, would use Ripple's XRP to start. But mm -hmm. I believe the idea is to transition away from that. So interesting to see what happens there. I mean, I know a lot of us are in crypto. In fact, most of us are in crypto because we want to get away from all of those institutions uh, to begin with. But it is interesting that they themselves are recognizing the benefits and the efficiency of this uh, new technology. Wow. And it's, uh, you know, with all of the trillions of dollars at their disposal for research and development, none of them came up with an efficient, uh, an efficient process like this. But now, while they slam cryptocurrency and say this is a scam and this is terrible, they're using the technology that cryptocurrency is based on, um, Bitcoin is based on. So that's always interesting. And actually, let's, uh, I, it reminds me of another quote that I found. So let me just... Uh, pull that up. So um, uh, JP Morgan, uh, so um, they recently announced, they said that cryptocurrencies would only have value in a dystopian economy. So it seems that some of the banks are jumping on board and saying like, yes, this is efficient and this is a valuable thing. And some of them are like, no, this would only have value in a dystopian economy. And they don't see the current economy as being dystopian at all. They don't see any problem with company countries around the world that are currently taking money out of citizens' bank accounts. They don't care about like banks being, like accounts being frozen. They don't care about inflation all over the world. Um, apparently it needs to get more dystopian before they think cryptocurrency is going to have any value uh but a concession they think that it will have value uh in that, in that well so there's that yeah i mean now we can be crypto preppers too they say when you know the world collapses and dystopia happens dystopia happens i don't know whatever then uh cryptocurrency will be valuable so there you go you can prep with your gold your silver your mres and your cryptocurrency Right. Uh, I've only got a couple more minutes, so I'm going to breeze through the last few. Uh, Bitcoin ATM startups, they're saying that uh, business is booming at the moment. I know that everyone, like when you mention ATMs, they're like, oh, it's so 2015. Um, but apparently things are alive and well, being used more than ever. And they say that it's in part due to Venezuela, which is really interesting. Um, there's Matthias Goldenhorn probably pronounced that incorrectly, who's the director of Latin American operations at the ATM operator Athena Bitcoin, uh, had an interview with Coindesk and they said that ATMs are becoming a real alternative to banks. So that's really interesting to see, especially when you have naysayers saying that like, oh, how much is crypto actually helping people in these countries? Well, apparently some people are using them and uh, it's becoming a real alternative. So that's exciting. Yeah, it is. And, you know, there's for a lot of people, you, know, you want to get money to Venezuela, they give you their Bitcoin address. You go to your local Bitcoin ATM, deposit the cash. Sure, it's going to cost you the 5%, 10%, whatever the ATM charges, but they have the Bitcoin. I mean, it, it's just easy and it, it skips all the nonsense of trying to send money the traditional ways and it's borderless. Yay. That's the whole point, right? Yeah. So as this continues in Venezuela and it's not over yet, it's really continuing to be quite interesting there. Um, interesting in the maybe live in interesting times way then I, I think that more and more people will try to get funds to their friends and family in Venezuela using cryptocurrency, which I hope will be helpful to them.
Absolutely. I hope so too. Um, so, and some new malware has just been discovered. If you're using a Mac, be careful. Always keep abreast of, of what's going on, all the scammy things mm -hmm. happening there. Apparently, what's uh, been called the cookie miner is a, uh, a scam or a, a, um, some malware that tries to navigate past authentication processes by stealing a combination of the login credentials, text messages, and web cookies. So, uh, with this, they can gain full access to victims uh, like wallets, exchanges, able to steal funds. So be really, really careful. Um, uh, I'm not sure whether there are there are uh, fixes for this at the moment. Apparently Monero is the most popular cryptocurrency among hackers, uh, which is <laughs> interesting. Um, but just, uh, just be really, really careful. Uh, I know that McAfee's company, like when I say McAfee, I don't mean the McAfee we know and love. Um, it's a Sonya McAfee, uh, the uh, computer security company. So they published a report in December. They showed that there were nearly 4 million new mining malware threats uh, in the third quarter of 2018 alone. Wow. So wow. that's a huge amount of stuff. Just be really careful when you're moving funds. Um, if you can put things in cold storage and just not touch it, it may be in your best interest to trust, try and uh, deal with it as little as possible. Um, so I, keep I in mind kind of, this Sorry, no, this particular no. one only affects Chrome and Safari. So if you're doing the right thing and using Brave Browser, this particular one should not have affected you. Right, right. Um, so just last thing, because I, I probably should go right now, but quickly. Yeah. So Fidelity, uh, they're saying they mm -hmm. may formally launch their crypto custody service in March. Um, they uh, have already, it's already gone live, some of some assets under management, uh, but apparently there's a formal uh, launch in March with, uh, with more things, offering to more people and all that. So we'll keep an eye on that. But I have to run now. So uh, this has been uh, short and sweet, and I appreciate all the people who've uh, tuned in for this. I uh, I will be keeping you updated while I'm here with some really awesome people that I want to be interviewing and, and sending to live streams. And maybe we'll do, like, another um, crypto uh, news thing, Chris. So I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. Uh, yeah. Otherwise... Catch you all later, and uh, and great to be back in the um, in the uh, correct time zone again. So love you all. Bye. For extra material and any links mentioned in this podcast, please visit naomibrockwell.com. If you'd like to watch the video version, please visit Naomi Brockwell TV on YouTube, BitChute, or DTube. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Bitcoin, Blockchain, and the Technologies of Our Future.